All right, I'm going to try to get us going here. Um, I know there wasn't much of a transition there, so uh, got to come in, find your donut, find your seat, make it quick, all that good stuff. Cecil, it's good to see you here this morning. We are praising the Lord. They tried to take you out, but... Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, that you are, so appreciate that. All right, so we are uh, continuing our study, talking about questions in the Gospels. Um, so last week we looked at the first part of John chapter 2. That Today we're going to look at the latter part, starting in verse 13. Um, so with that, let me pray, and then we'll read it, and we'll get started. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for um, each one who is here. We thank you for the life that you give us. In your Son, we thank you for the breath that you give us uh, for this earth. Uh, we thank you that this earth is not all we have, that we have something to look forward to. We thank you for um, that hope and that joy that you give us in this life. We pray this morning as we come to your word that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to what you have to teach us. Um, let us be moldable and, and become, be becoming more like you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. The Passover, the Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables into those who were Selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. All right. So what's going on here? What part of the temple are they in? Anybody know? Courtyard. Yeah, they're in this the courtyard. The, it's called the. Uh, now I lost it. The, yeah, the the court of the Gentiles. So um, it's not the holy of holies. It's not you know. It's a it's an area where people could come into, and that's fine. Um, why was all this commerce going on in the temple? What's the practical reason for it? Passover. Passover. Sacrifices. sacrifices, right? So this is the time for sacrifices. You're going to sacrifice animals in the temple, and so you need animals. And not just any animals, right? You need unblemished, unblemished animals. Um, and then there's the whole money thing. What's that all about? There's a temple tax, right? You've got to pay the temple tax, and you've got to pay that 
not, not just in any currency, you don't just bring your whatever, but you've got to have the right currency to do that. Um, so what are, let's just think practically, what are the advantages of buying and selling animals and exchanging your money right here in the court of the temple? Okay, they charge more than they're supposed to, but what's the, what's the advantage as a person coming into the temple to... They don't have to bring it with them. They don't have to bring it with them. Convenient. It's convenient. This is nice. This is, this is easy. It costs a little more, sure, but it's convenient, right? Um, on Friday night, we went to a football game. Ollie and Sam and I did. Ollie was playing in this football game. We were up in Marble Falls. We left the house, we're getting down the road a little ways, and Ollie went, I forgot to bring my water. Um, and he's got this like gallon jug, he drinks a lot of water. Um, and I said, well, there's a water bottle in my backpack, grab that, make sure you're hydrated on the way there. So we get up there, and during the game, they've got water available and stuff, and so we're leaving. We had to leave in a hurry, because Ollie was supposed to work the next morning at seven o'clock, which was a bad idea, but anyway. Um, so he goes, I was like, you know, do you want to stop somewhere for food and whatever? He's like, I just want water. I'm like, all right, we'll get on the road. We'll stop at a convenience store. We'll get water. And so we did. We went out of Marble Falls, got down the road just a little bit, stopped at a convenience store, went in. You guys need anything else? No, just this bottle of water. So take this bottle of water up to the counter. I didn't look. I don't know, you know. The guy rings it up. Bottle of water about this big, nothing, maybe that big around. 350 for a bottle of water, right? That's convenient. I could have gone to home, or I could have gone to HEB or Walmart or something, and I would have paid probably about a quarter of that price, not more than a dollar for sure. But would it have been, would it have been convenient? No, it wouldn't have been. This this just kind of made me think. Who, who here remembers a time when you could not go? to a 7-Eleven or something and actually find a bottle of water. Yeah, yeah. I remember there was a time when I was like going back and forth between Colorado and thinking, it'd actually be nice if you could actually buy a bottle of water, you know, because long time it was just like you'd drink out of a garden hose or you'd find a water fountain and that was water. That's what you, you know, and I remember thinking, actually, it would be kind of nice if you could actually buy a bottle of water. Anyway. Um, What's that? I got what I asked for. That's right. So my point is, think about that time when, you know, when, when bottled water first started showing up. What would you have done if somebody said, here's a bottle of water. All I need for it is three fifty. Yeah, exactly. You'd be like, I'll go to the garden hose. Thank you very much. Right? No way. People would have freaked out. Friday night. I paid three fifty for a for a bottle of water. Why did I do that? Because it was convenient and we needed it. Fifteen minutes was more valuable than the two dollars worth saved. Right, exactly. So it's convenient. Need it. Here it is. Get it. I could have gone three fifty or couldn't take it back and drive back into. I'm not going to do that. Right. I don't like paying three fifty, but I'm going to do it. That's what it costs you more than that. <laughs> exactly, probably. Um, so, with those thoughts in mind, how do you think 
buying and selling and money changing came about in the temple. How did it probably get started? Okay, they forgot their offering. That's a possibility. They didn't raise the lamb or the, the dove or whatever. They yeah, I mean, had to get it from somewhere. So the way, this, the way the whole thing started was God said, bring, a, bring an animal from the flock, you know, bring, bring your offerings from what you have. And so people would do that. Well, maybe it got to the point where you don't have a flock. So you talk to your neighbor who does have a flock, say, hey, when you know, Passover's coming, I'm going to need a lamb. Okay, yeah, you know. Um, next year comes around, I, you know, I'm going to need a lamb again. Yeah, same price. We'll deal with that, you know. Um, but as time goes by, you know, that, that's kind of a pain. And, and, you know, there's maybe there's fewer people that are keeping flocks and things like that. And then we come down to who's in charge of approving or not approving the animals for sacrifice. That's right. Huh? That's right. Who? The priest. The priest. What happens if you get a few greedy priests? who lost their focus on what they're supposed to be there for. What happens? They get greedy, they get greedy and they go, mm, this one's not quite good enough. We have some out back that are better, that are, that are pre-approved. They're stamped grade A, right? They've are, they are pre-approved. And so if you want one of those, you know, it's going to cost you a little more, but, but you know. So now, okay, well, now we've got this system down. So the next year, I'm not even going to bother to ask my neighbor. I'm just going to go. I don't have to drag the thing through, through, the thing through town. I don't have to mess with it. I just show up. I give them my money. It's going to cost me more. I know that. Give my money. I got my animal. I go. Done. This is a sweet deal, right? It's how worship's supposed to be, right? No. What happens to worship over time? It becomes mechanical. It gets more convenient. It's diluted. Gets diluted. Sometimes it costs a little more, but it's more convenient. I can get in, get out, get on with my life again. I don't have to worry about finding the perfect land, all that stuff. Should worship be convenient? Yeah. Should it be easy? Should worship be easy? Okay. Should my flesh find it easy? No. Um, should it cost me anything? No, it's free. Okay. Yes and no. I'm going to go yes and no. Let's, let's look at 2 Samuel real quick. You'll, you'll recognize this most likely. Um, 2 Samuel 24. This is after David had taken the census of the people when he shouldn't have done it. And um, there's a judgment the Lord has sent. And it's in the middle of this judgment, uh, verse 18, 2 Samuel 24, 18. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aaron the Jebusite. David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. Uh, Aaron looked down and saw the king and his servants crossing over toward him and went out and bowed his face to the ground before the king. 
Then he said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be held back from the people. Arana said to David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. Everything, O king, Arana gives to the king. And he said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. However, the king said to him, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. He built an altar, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land, and the plague was held back from from Israel. So I think it should cost us something. Yes, worship is free. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, we don't have to pay money in order to, to have, to be, to be worshiping. But if it didn't cost us anything, there's something wrong. Tom? Well, the word sacrifice connotates making a sacrifice. Yes. Um, so you're giving something. Right. I, I guess why it shouldn't, it doesn't cost us anything is because Jesus has made the sacrifice. Right. For us, that's how things are very different. Right. Yeah, and there, there's some big discrepancies here between what happened in Israel with the temple versus what we have in Christ. But I still do think that our tendency is to make, is to make, to make worship easy, to make it convenient, to make it cheap. And in, in the, in the meaning, in, when I say cheap, I mean meaningless. Like it's just we're going through the motions. We tend over time to just start to kind of go through the motions. It was like, this is what I do, so I just, um, you know, I think of the, the Roman Catholic Church and indulgences. It's like you could buy your way into God's graces. It was easy. It was meaningless. Um, it wasn't cheap. It cost you. But then I could just pay my thing and, and get on with life. God is not mocked. He knows our hearts. Um, I was thinking about a little bit about, you know, COVID, when COVID happened and like, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve and that whole lie. Um, but we, you know, we, we shut down for a couple of weeks and went, okay, you know, if this is that bad, we need to do that. And so set up the camera and let everybody stay home and watch it on TV and stuff. Well, it's kind of nice to sit home and Heather, I remember Heather going, <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice sitting on the couch in your PJs, you know, Doing, doing the church thing, and I'm not saying that's what she was arguing for, just acknowledging that it, that's easy. That's, that's more convenient. Um, is worship a few songs you sing Sunday morning? What does true worship cost? I think it should cost us everything. I think that's what Jesus is saying when he says, take up your cross daily. He's given us everything and we should be giving it all back. So worship is not just songs. It's not something we do on Sunday morning. It's giving ourselves to him. Daily. daily. Minute by minute sometimes. It is, it is a daily sacrifice of ourselves for him. Does that sound cheap or easy or convenient? No, I don't think so. 
So it is different here. We're, we're talking about something different. Um, there's difference, a lot of difference about this scene in the temple and how we do church. Um, but ultimately, for us, church is not a building. We tend to think sometimes, you know, we go, are you going to, hey, do you, I need to stop by church and pick something up. Well, we, we think of this building. We all know this building is not church. These people and the ones who are going to gather with us later are the local church, and the people who are believers around the world is the church, the body of Christ. Um, we don't all have to go to one temple. We each are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, so there are, there are clearly some differences. What is consistent is the nature of the human heart. And our hearts tend to look for something easier. Uh, okay, so back looking at our text. W- would this have been the first time Jesus had been to the Passover celebration? No. no. We know that. Why? What's that? Yeah, when he was 12. That, that passage we studied, it said every year his parents would go to the, the celebration in, Ju- in Jerusalem. So we can assume that he's been there. About 30 times, right? Um, do you suppose this is the first time he'd seen all this commerce taking place? No. Probably not. Um, had it never really bothered him before? Where his eyes suddenly opened it to it all? I'm sure it bothered him. Yeah, I think it did. Maybe this time just tipped the scales. Maybe it was getting progressively worse. You know, it's one of those things where it kind of starts out small and then, oh, how, look at the convenience. And just, you know, it's just getting better and better all the time. Um, and so you can imagine this thing is growing. And um, it could be that this was the one that just pushed him over the edge, but it also seems very possible that um, this was, it's the beginning of his ministry, and, and, and this was the one where, where God's going, time to do something about this. Um, let's see. Was he shocked that men had evil in their hearts that would cause them to express their greed? No, he wasn't shocked by that. Was he surprised to find people were lazy and were looking for a more convenient way to worship God? No, that didn't surprise him. He was saddened. He was saddened, yep. Um, He came to forgive that kind of greed and that kind of laziness um, and to motivate us to something better, to give us a new heart so that we would desire something better. Um, All right, so that kind of got us through, I think, verse 16. Um, Picking up in verse 17, his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, Malachi 3, 1 through 4, um, you can turn over there if you want, last book of the Old Testament. Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, speaking of John, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But, you can, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of, of silver, 
And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Um, so how did Jesus express his zeal for his father's house? What was his, what, what, how would you describe what he did? How would you describe his attitude toward it? Angry. I think he was angry. Wait a second, isn't that sin? Isn't anger a sin? Righteous anger. Righteous anger. James, uh, turn over to James one, chapter 1, 19. says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man. Ephesians 4.26. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the the devil an opportunity. Um, so clearly, anger can be justified. There are times when there is a righteous anger. How do you know when, you're, when your anger is justified or not? I think anger against sin is totally justified. Okay, anger against sin is, ju is justified. Okay, when you're in his will. Any other thoughts? I think, as I've thought about it through the years, I think for me, if I'm getting angry because of the way I'm being treated, I don't think that's justified. Now, there may be some cases where I'm missing something, but, but if, I'm, if I'm angry because of the way I'm being treated, He's probably calling me to endure that and trust him to get me through that. When I see someone else who's being mistreated or I see the word of God being mistreated, I see, you know, when, when I see injustice happening to the innocent, I should be getting angry. And if I'm not, then there's something wrong. So that's kind of, for me, that, that's kind of a litmus test for me. Is like, okay, why am I getting angry? Is this because I'm being inconvenienced? You know, is it because, what's the reason? So, um, Jesus is not angry because of how he's being treated. He's angry for his father's house. This is not the way my father's house is to be used, treated, and it made him mad. And he did something about it. It was righteous anger. Um, Verse 18, the Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? So there's our first question. Does it seem odd that they would ask for a sign of his authority? Why would they be doing that? It was going to hurt their pocketbook if he shut it down. Okay. If they were really confident that what they were doing was right, what do you think they would have done? There, 
Don't you think they might have just dragged him out and stoned him? I mean, that's the kind of thing they tended to do. There, there's a time when they were going to go to a, a hill and chuck him off the hill, and he walks right through the crowd because it wasn't his time, that kind of thing. If they really felt that they were justified, I think they would have gone, hey, this, you can't do this. But I think they're asking for a sign because there, there maybe were some who were going, I'm not really sure this is all, all okay anyway. So they're asking for a sign. Um, I think they knew they were on shaky ground already. Um, some, some may have been conflicted in their hearts already, and they wanted Jesus to prove that he had the authority to do this um, so they could put an end to it. That's a possibility. So what were they looking for when they asked for a sign? What do you think they were, what do you think they were after? Certification. Okay. Okay. Okay, but what do you think that they wanted that to look like? They remembered um, what happened on the children of Israel, the man of the... Okay. And he was, he was a young, new rabbi. Right. And they're saying, who in the world do you think you are? Right, right. It almost feels, because if you look at this um, in other places, it, it looks like they're looking for a miraculous sign. Um, something impressive. You know, a good story to tell other people that weren't there. Who here likes magic? Okay, illusion. Not like black magic or anything. Who, who likes to, yeah, who likes to get kind of fooled by, you know, like, I, I don't know what, what just happened there. That was crazy, you know. Um, it's funny, whenever Heather and I will watch something like this, she's like, how do they do that? I'm like, I have no idea. She's like, there's no way that's possible. I'm like, there is a way that's possible. I don't understand it. If I were an illusionist, I could probably help you figure it out. But I've never studied any of that stuff, and I don't know how you do it. It's, it's really fun. It's really entertaining. It's very entertaining, isn't it? They were looking for entertainment, I think. Yeah, yeah, they were always looking for him to slip up. Um, and this is the beginning of his ministry, so there, you know, there may have been some rumors about him, but they don't know much about him yet, it would seem. But, yeah, they're going, okay, you're, some, you're the new kid on the street. Show us something impressive. What do you got? What can you do for us? Because if you do the right thing, we might let you hang out. We might find a place for you in the act, Right? Because we're making money here, we're, we got our thing going, and if, you're gonna, if you can play along and fit in, we might let you. So who clearly would have been angry with Jesus' actions? Anybody who's profiting, right? So probably whatever corrupt priests there were, um, and then there's, you know, obviously they probably have a racket where they're buying, you know, their lambs from certain people, you know. Politics hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's the same stuff. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and we'll both get rich, right? 
Did, do you think that maybe some of the onlookers maybe enjoyed the drama of tables being overturned and, you know, all this craziness? Of course. Sure. It's entertainment. Yeah, it's entertainment. I mean, there's not a whole lot going on. In, I mean, there's a lot of activity in Jerusalem, but maybe not a lot of entertainment kind of, you know. Um, some of them liked being in the middle of the action. I think so. Um, it is funny that there are many people who may not out outwardly, outwardly acknowledge it, but they would rather live with drama and tragedy than without. Because I think sometimes it makes them feel like they're doing something, like their life has a purpose, um, rather than sitting around you know, and feeling like nothing's going on. Um, so now they're probably excited at the prospect of more entertainment. So Jesus, being one to always accommodate requests for entertainment, answers thus, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What do you do with that? This is one of my favorite answers of Jesus in, in the New Testament. Like, wow. We know what he was talking about. We have that advantage. Um, but we also recognize that he was willing to let them Think something different. Think the, the obvious, um, you know, you're standing in the temple, you say, tear down this temple and I'll build it in three days. It's clear, pretty clear what we would all think, at least initially, because most of us aren't thinking your body is a temple. Um, so the question is, was he capable of doing either one? Yeah, obviously. How else could he have answered this question? He often answered questions with a question. He could have turned it around on them. What sign do you show me that you have the authority to use the temple this way? Well, we're priests and, you know, well, can you point to the scriptures and tell me how it is that you have this right to use the, the temple this way? Why didn't he do something miraculous here to prove who he was? Wouldn't it be good? Right. Wouldn't, wouldn't doing so grow his brand, as we would say today? Yeah, Christine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he knows. And that's what this, this passage is going to end with. Jesus knew their hearts. He knows all men's hearts. So he's, he's not going to play along. He's not going to play their game. Um, let's, uh, well, honestly, yeah. I don't think he needed to give a sign. I mean, no. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a crowd. Crowds are interesting. Um, turn over to John chapter 7, and I think we get, get some of the answer to why Jesus didn't um, go along with their, their thing here. Um, John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. 
Therefore his brothers said to him, Leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he, when he himself seeks to be known publicly. So his brothers are giving him advice on how to, you know, be more noticed. If you do these things, show yourself to, to the world. For not even his brothers were believing in him. So Jesus said to them, My time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify to it that, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time is not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, but not publicly, but as if in secret. So Jesus is like, he gets all kinds of worldly advice. And he goes, I'll keep my own counsel on these things. I, I, will, I will listen to the Spirit, not to anyone you know, telling me how, oh, you need to do some miracles to you know, let people know who you are. I'll, I'll do that when the Spirit tells me. Um, God's ways are not our ways. Even though this seems like, from our perspective, a perfect um, public relations opportunity, what makes sense to God doesn't make sense to us. It reminds me of, I, I've told this story before, but back when I was um, working air conditioning, I discovered that this, this truth that things that make sense to rich people don't necessarily make sense to poor people. We were building this house for, we were, we were putting air conditioning in this house. It was like an 8,000 square foot house out in Cordillera, expensive house. This was people who lived in Houston, this was gonna be their weekend house for several years and then eventually move into it, you know, to retire in and um, a lot of money being spent on a second home. And one of the guys that worked for me, I went out there to check on the installers and he was like, man, I would not do this. If I had this money, I would not do this. And I was like, really? How do you know? Have you ever had this much money? What if you had enough money to build a hundred of these homes? Would you still not do it? The truth is you don't know because you're not wealthy the way these people are wealthy. I don't know how wealthy they are. I don't know what they can afford or not afford. But we see things and we make judgments according to the fact that we are human. God makes judgments according to the fact that he is God. And we look at it and go, that doesn't make a lick of sense. And he goes, you're right, because you're human. You're not God. You don't have my perspective. We like to see things from our perspective and go, God, why didn't you do that? So verse 20, the Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he, had raised, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So the Jews understood it in the most normal, typical way the, that we would expect them to do so. Um, why didn't Jesus correct them and explain what he really meant? Doesn't it seem like the perfect segue into the gospel? Here's this chance to tell them, here's why I'm here. Why wouldn't he do that? Because their hearts were hard, right? Remember all the times that, you know, he, he tells his disciples and he, he speaks these parables and he tells the disciples, you I'm going to tell what this means, but these people's hearts are hard. And so even though they hear, they're not going to take it in. They're not going to understand. Um, 
What I love about this exchange is that Jesus just gives them nowhere to go. I mean, not, I guess not nowhere. They, they could make a choice. They can say, let's tear down the temple and see what happens. What would that require? 40 years of work. <laughs> Either 40 years of work or they have to have faith that he can do it. No, I mean to tear it down. Oh, to tear it down? Well, you can tear things down a whole lot faster you can put them up. Yeah. They wouldn't have done it in a day. But you can, you can tear it down. Um, but you have to either believe that it's going to take you another 40 years to rebuild it, or you have to believe that he's going to do what he said he would. And he could have. And he could have. But, of course, they wouldn't have believed that any more than if we, somebody walked in here and said, I'm going to tear this building down and have it, have it back up tomorrow. Like, we go, no, and, you know, I don't believe you, <laughs> you know. Um, but it was this beginning for him. Um, Let's see. Would it have made much difference if they had torn down the temple and left it down? I think for a lot of them it, it wouldn't have. There were, there were, we know that there were godly priests. We know that Zacharias, um, the father of John the Baptist, you know, he was a faithful priest. We see that. There, there were some. It wasn't like the whole priesthood was corrupt. But there were enough of them that they were able to get away with this, and um, either others weren't speaking up or there, wasn't enough, there weren't enough of them to have a voice. Um, the most that would have happened, I think, if they had torn down the temple is it would have affected their national identity. But for many of them, the difference in worship wouldn't have really changed because there, it wasn't a heart worship. It was going through the motions. It was doing what we're supposed to do, but not for any right reason. How many churches willingly closed down during COVID? A lot. How many seem to be willing to stay closed? A lot. A lot. Why is that? How many people left and haven't come back? Right. There's that too. If you're just going through the motions, then if things get disrupted, it doesn't probably bother you much. I think for these people going to the temple, having everything disrupted, it was, it was entertaining. It didn't really probably change the hearts of a lot of them. It wasn't like, oh, hey, we need to straighten up. It was just like, oh, well, that's interesting. What are the priests going to do? You know, what, what's, the, what's the drama that's going to play out as a result of this? If, if church is just your social club and your church closes down, you just change clubs. It takes a little while to get used to the new one, but you go, okay. Like you said, some people never came back. They probably found another way or maybe they're hiding in their house still behind a mask or whatever. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm, I am grateful that we have services online because I know that like when I was home with surgeries and stuff and it was a blessing to be able to watch it online and you know have keep that you know keep that line open and I know that there are people who live in other countries and there's people who just kind of want to keep up with BBC and what's going on and you know and that kind of thing my hope and prayer is if they're living in another country that they're involved with another fellowship that's what God calls us to 
you know, say I'm, I'm going to sit home and watch church from, from the couch for here and from here on and forever, that's not what God has called us to. He's called us to be gathered together. He's called us to be here, to, to um, join together. That's not about the building, it's about the people. Um, in the same way that many churchgoers go- do not really consider church essential, it seems clear that this, at this point in Israel's history, there were many who didn't think truly worshiping God that the temple was essential. They were just going through the motions. Um, I was going to go through that last three verses, but we are almost out of time, so I'm going to just throw a couple of questions out as conclusion and then uh, see if anybody's got any other comments or questions. My first question is, what does worship mean to you? Does it mean giving the least you can to get away without feeling guilty? Or does it mean giving everything? Giving all of you to whatever he may call you to. And what are you demanding from God? The Jews demanded a sign. What are you demanding of God? All right, that's what I've got. Any thoughts? Any questions? Yes, ma'am, Ann. Yeah. If you sort of circle that through your mind, then it'll probably stop you from doing a lot of right, right. Or change your motive, or right. it would affect your action. Yeah, yeah. The thing I'm doing right now is this worship, or is this just me? Yeah, yeah. Anna. I think it's really interesting. I've heard before that so since it was in the court of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Right. And because all of this noise is going on, all of this um, corruption is going on, all of a sudden there's this wall in between them and God. Mm-hmm. And like the Jews can could go further in the courts and so like the men could go, you know, much closer right. and get to a quieter area and they can go a little bit further uh, or closer to the noise, but the Gentiles like this is where they could go and and so I think it's interesting that, you know, a lot of the Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as you're as you're saying that makes me think about a couple things. One, it, it, my initial thought was there's some really noisy churches out there. Um, but my second thought was sometimes we are not comfortable with, with silence. We want to fill our days with noise, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, like when I'm driving, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and stuff. And sometimes I go right from the last one to the next one or whatever. And, and sometimes it's, it's just nice to have quiet and just not fill my head with all the noise, but just sit quietly. You know, whether I'm driving or whether not, but are, am, I, am I just being quiet before the Lord? That, another thought I had. So, all right, we are out of time plus. So let me pray right quick and then we'll. Father God, thank you for 
the fact that you are the only one worthy of worship. You are all that we could need, all that we could ask. Um, and so, Lord, I pray that, that our hearts would be ready and willing to, to worship you. Um, and it's not just something we do on Sunday morning, but let our lives show that you are the preeminent thing, the most important thing in all that we do or say. I thank you for each one here. Thank you for the input. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who guides us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.